0: To start off this season of the Religion and Story podcast, we're going to discuss the question of how to study the Bible. For all Christians, we know that we want to study the Bible, but we're not always sure how. So our discussion today will focus on ways to improve our effectiveness in understanding our Bible reading and how to be effective when reading the Bible in community.
1: Well, if you're going to start with reading the Bible, if you're new to it, then you need to really have a framework on how you believe God actually inspired and put together this scripture. Daniel, in his religionandstory.com blog, uh, and if you don't follow it, uh, our listeners, please go check it out. He's got a lot of good stuff on there. There's one blog that he wrote entitled, How We Read the Bible, which a lot of what we're going to talk about will be found in those. One of the things I really like, though, is there is a spectrum of inspiration, if you want to call it that. And I'll start from the left side, as in um, left as what people would recognize as more liberal, and then work our way over to a more conservative viewpoint. So if somebody does believe that the Bible, the events in it are true and can agree upon that, they might say that these events are just coincidence and that the the authors of the Bible or any truth that's found in Scripture is just purely coincidental and they match up and line up with what history gives us and I think one more step removed from that would be that it's a philosophical book saying that the Bible is a bunch of philosophical works that that humans have put together and they're good to or beneficial to help you learn and become a better person you could also say that everything that is found in the Bible that authors wrote themselves and God basically just put his stamp of approval on it and said, yep, these things are right. Let's canonize them and uh, start shipping the Bibles to the churches so that they know what to do. <laughs> um, then you could also say that there was uh, an indirect uh, inspiration in the, in the way that how Moses was given the Ten Commandments the Just what's found in the Bible is reflective of what God uh, had revealed to the prophets or the authors of the Bible, and the wisdom was given to those writers. And so I'd almost say that the authors were gifted with a Holy Spirit that allowed them to write inspired writings that are then found in the Bible. And uh, another category, if you want to call them that, would be a di- the Bible is dynamic, meaning that God guided the writer's thoughts. He guided them thought for thought, but gave them the independence in the words that they use. If you go, go to a Bible class on Luke, I guarantee you class number one, they're going to tell you, oh, Luke was a doctor. And so you can see that a lot of the things that he wrote are reflective of who his audience was and who he was as a person. So that is a very good supporting topic for the Bible being dynamic to whatever the writer was writing it. Then you also have a verbal plenary, which would mean God guided the writer's thought for thought, but also influenced or approved some way of the words, how the words are used in scripture. And the, what I would say is the most conservative way that you could view inspiration is uh, I would call it dictation, just God spoke right into the ear and guided the hand uh, the pen to paper so every word that was put down on paper was what god told the writers to write now for me i, I think that dynamic makes sense um i would also say that god is able to use the authors but what i've heard said most is that god said what he meant to say he said it the way he meant to say it and I know I'm misquoting that, but yes, God has a message and he, and he right. wanted it with the exact words that were used in the Greek. And it is our duty uh, to do our due diligence as Christians, if we're going to interpret it from the original Greek, that we need to make sure that we are putting it as closely translated as possible. That would rule out things like, New Living Translation, and I guess we can kind of talk about the usefulness of those versus uh, how much weight should they actually hold as far as a translation goes.
2: Yeah, so um, you know, a lot to unpack there. I'll, go, I'll address that, but first I want to say where I would say we need to start when asking how can we read the Bible for all it's worth, and I think half of it is going to be exactly what Stephen has already started us on, and that is a proper theology of revelation and of interpretation, understanding this is how interpretation works, this is how revelation works. That's huge. And I think Michael's going to deal with the other half a lot, which is sort of the the practical aspect of it, of being in the Word repeatedly and uh, taking that avenue of just doing it. And I think we have to take both of those things in conjunction. Before I let Michael have a chance to share some of that, I want to talk about... Uh, just a little bit what Stephen was saying. First, he mentioned the verbal plenary view, and that is, uh, it's good to point out that that is the belief that most evangelical Christians, so most conservative Christians, fall under that umbrella. Probably the next biggest group of conservative Christians are going to be in the dynamic. And verbal plenary is, a good way of understanding that is understanding where we think that the authors, their personality and their writing styles are Clearly evident in the writing, and there's occasion, and there's audience, and things like that. But it still has the weight of dictation behind it, as if God said these very words, even though there is clearly occasion behind them, and there there are human authors actually writing them down, and things like that. And I think it's good that we we wrestle. I think we're going to more in this podcast with those different. Ideas of inspiration. The other thing that Stephen said um, it has to do with in- translations of the Bible, and that's a huge topic that I think I, I definitely want to go around after Michael talks and say what and in- what translations we use and why we use them, because that's something that people are often looking for. If you go to Barnes Noble or a uh, uh, Christian bookstore, Lifeway, something like that, you're going to see a thousand different Bible translations to choose from. And it can be overwhelming at times. You have to choose, uh, which one of these should I read? What's the difference? Why should I read them? There's a lot of different choices to be made here.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, actually, you you talking there at the end about the thousands or however many different Bible translations there are out there reminds me of the time when I converted. I converted from reading the NIV to reading the ESV at the age of 19. And I'm I'm a better person for it. So... Um, That's what I currently use is, is the ESV. I go to a congregation where a lot of people use the New King James or the NASB. I grew up in a congregation that used the NIV. I think it's important to read in community, so being aware of what your fellow congregants are using, I think is important to informing your choice, but we can talk more about that later. When you're thinking about how to read the Bible how to get the most out of it. I think one of the first questions we have to ask is what type of communication is the Bible? Is this a contractual terms of agreement email that you're receiving where you're supposed to click, I agree at the end of it, even without reading it? Is this a to-do list from your mother? Or is this a a love letter uh, from from your spouse or from from someone that you, you care deeply about?
2: I've heard many times people say it's the love letter. I think that's really common. Um, But I've never heard anyone relate the Bible to the
0: iTunes terms of agreement. I'm going to use
2: that all the time now.
0: Good. Um, In some ways, it's all of the above. There are some ways in which we could say that the Bible is a take it or leave it proposal. That you either accept all of what they say or you accept none of it. There are certainly Christians who would disagree with that that would say that, well, you can accept some parts of it and not others. And even Christians like me would point to certain parts of the Bible where we would, where we would say, well, that's actually changed. It's as if iTunes gave you one terms of agreement and said, <laughs> oh, we have had a new revelation of new terms that you need to agree to. Well, anyway, sadly, I think the, I think I'm,
1: the best part of your analogy is that people don't read it and just say that they believe what it says.
0: Agreed. Anyway. Agreed. Right. They say, I'm a Christian, even though they have no idea what they're signing up for. So part of being a mature Christian is realizing that different parts of the Bible are meant for different purposes. Some parts of the Bible are meant to give us instruction on godly living, but other parts are there for God to tell us how much he loves us, how much he is willing to give for us, that he is willing to incarnate himself in Jesus and once you understand the different parts of the Bible, that's getting some of the way to best using your time in reading scripture. But let, let me make one more note about the time of reading scripture. I once heard it, you should read the Bible for at least one second a day. And it's meant to shock you, And it's, but it's meant to remind you that any day without scripture is a day wasted. Any day where where God is not you're not allowing God to communicate to you through his word is a day when you are leaving out your most important relationship. And likely if you read the Bible for at least 1 second, you'll probably read it for a minute, you'll probably read it for 15 minutes or some set amount of time where you are allowing God to on a consistent basis into your life for and and elongated amount of time. And I, the one thing I would add to that is that you should read it in community as often as you can, which means reading the Bible as a group in collective worship, in worship services, in a weekly Bible study with your family, every every day reading it and having conversations about it with someone other than yourself. So what seems important? What, what are things that you've heard from others that you think need to be challenged? Uh, Where should we go with our conversation?
1: Well, let's talk about the complexity versus simplicity of Scripture. Uh, I hear all the time people saying the Bible and the Scripture is very, very complex. There's all these inner workings, different things that you need to be considering, the context, the storyline, the grand scheme of the entire story of the Bible— is this something that we can break down, or do we overcomplicate things? How, how does that play into our reading of the Bible? Yeah, I was
2: actually going through. I, I do this on occasion because I I use my time wisely. I, I go through my blog and read <laughs> old comments, and I notice on there is actually because the people who leave comments the most are y'all too. There's a comment one that Michael because left. Because we love one, you. Huh? Oh, I appreciate it. I always thought it was just because you wanted to tear my blog apart from the inside. But um, Michael had left a comment where I had been discussing reading the Bible, and I had made that very claim, Stephen, that reading Scripture is complex, and it's a hard thing to do. Even though I think we definitely need to be doing it, we have to recognize it as complex. Michael said, in your your post, Daniel, you specifically uh, said that the gospel is easy but it goes against the rest of the post that said uh, Scripture is complex and sort of clung me out on that contradiction. And we went on to discuss, and I think it bears repeating at this time, that, yeah, I think Scripture is very complex. It's a very large book by many different authors with many different genres written many thousands of years ago over a long period of time discussing things that we're not really familiar with there's a lot of factors stacked against it to make it a very complex book, much more complex than Shakespeare, which I remember freshman English reading Hamlet. Hamlet was kind of hard to read, and this has way more than Hamlet does. But that said, the gospel is simple, and that is that needs to be remembered. That the, the core of scripture, that is an easy truth. That is an easy truth that has been passed on, almost untarnished for 2,000 years. That has lasted the test of time because it is so perfect and so simple.
0: I, I want to clarify, maybe you disagree with me on this, but I want to clarify, I, I think the gospel message reaches all the way back to Genesis 1.1 1, 1, in the moment of creation. That the, the gospel, yes, yes, it is the four gospels representing the beginning of the New Testament, but it also references the the story of God working in the life, lives of his creation. And so in some ways, it, it is an interconnected story to where the, the story of Jesus, the story of God revealing himself, begins at the beginning. That God has been revealing himself in, uh, as as Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 says, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. I think that's me quoting an acapella song, quoting the <laughs> Bible. Um, when we realize that, that Jesus is the continuation of, of God revealing himself, but in the most perfect way, We see the gospel throughout, and in that way, it's simple. Now, there are people with PhDs on the topic of Scripture and on the topic of biblical interpretation. So far be it from us to say that this is a simple task, and there have been families divided, countries divided, wars fought over interpretation of Scripture. So it's a serious topic.
1: Uh, uh, Daniel, were you saying, though, that the message and the overall theme... We can't
0: talk about the message in this podcast.
1: (laughs) Not the (laughs) the message, the translation. I'm talking about the the message of Scripture that we're in a fallen world and Christ is the sacrifice that has been given to us. That message and what we are called to do, therefore, that is clear. I guess at that point, you do have divisions within religious groups about baptism being essential. So you can go from there. But... There are even religious groups, though, that have taken completely far-fetched ideas that there are more than one way to come to God, not necessarily through Christ himself. Obviously, we can disagree with those. You mentioned Genesis being kind of the foundation of the gospel. That is another thing that we can probably get into another day about people interpreting Genesis, uh, one way versus the other. We've actually discussed that uh, in one of our previous podcasts. But yeah, I would also go uh, to say that just because I was talking to somebody the other day, they said, I don't think it really matters if you interpret it one way or uh, the other. Essentially, is it an issue if you are compromising your own beliefs because you're inconsistent in your thought though? That's kind of a doctrinal thing. It's not necessarily reading the Bible, but if you're reading the Bible and not consistent with what it actually says, then I think that you put yourself into a bit of a problem.
2: Yeah, and uh, I was kind of hinting at that earlier. So obviously, Stephen, uh, you and I disagree on some of the elements of Genesis
0: and if you would but, like to hear that, go, go back to our previous podcast where you can hear our full conversation on that topic. Is it considered a shameless plug if you're plugging
2: it in the very medium you're plugging?
0: This is the most shameful plug I've ever given. <laughs> okay. so.
2: Well, yeah, so so even though we disagree on that, on those aspects, I think we definitely agree on what you were just saying, which is you need consistency, And that's what I was hinting at the beginning of this podcast to say that you have to work out these theological issues. So I'm going to say, and I don't want to follow this rabbit hole completely, but I'd say, yeah, you you can have these be interpreted different ways and that can be a consistent belief system. But you have to have that consistent belief system. If someone is saying, "Ah, I'm going to ignore that, even though it doesn't work with my belief system, just because it's easier, that's an issue. And then your whole theology of interpretation and revelation, like we talked about, begins to fall apart. And that has huge implications for how we read.
1: So do do you all want to talk about just different reading habits that one can develop that makes it more effective? I've come across a lot of people in my lifetime. If you grew up in a small congregation in the Bible Belt area, you probably had one of those little plaques up at the front of the auditorium that said attendance for Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and I'm trying to remember some of the other things that were on there, but I remember it said chapters read, and occasionally I'd go to some congregations that were cranking out some serious chapters, and I would call those people (laughs) Bible reading warriors. Now, do we need to measure ourselves? I'm kind of giving the answer in the way that I'm saying it. Do we need to measure ourselves against the cream of the crop, the top Bible readers out there? Um, if, if we're not measuring up to their level, does that mean we're not doing it right? I think the answer is no, but we definitely need to be striving to get ourselves into an area in our spiritual lives where we are benefiting ourselves and doing ourselves a service to making sure that we are distancing ourselves from sinful desires and equipping ourselves in order to handle them when they come at us. Stephen, I think you're right
0: that uh, while the number of chapters you read in a week is, is a good thing that you probably did that week, it isn't the ultimate measure of what it means to be a Christian. That said, if we believe that our communication with God is important and spending time in his word is a fruit of, of a godly life, then we can say that there is importance there. There's no set number or set amount of time that it takes to spend with God in order to be a good Christian, but we have to be honest with ourselves about what it takes for us to properly engage with God in order to let these conversations play out in our lives. God isn't able to transform our lives if we don't allow him into our life, if we don't allow him to work his transforming power. I would also say that it could be that you could read the Bible all day and it will do you no good if you don't understand how. Think about the story in Acts chapter eight of the Ethiopian eunuch reading the scripture and he doesn't know what's going on. But when he has someone coming along to explain it to him, all of a sudden the scripture opens itself up. Think about the the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They didn't understand what was going on in all of the prophecies, but when Jesus speaks the scripture to them, their eyes open. For us as Christians, not only do we need to spend personal time in scripture, we also need to spend time with someone who's smarter than us. We need to be listening to those who, who know more than us and repaying the favor by sharing sharing the good news with those who might not know scripture as well as we do. So whether that's reading books on the side, maybe a commentary, which for many people can can be a little too deep, Um, but making sure that you are surrounding yourself with ideas that will stretch your mind on how to read the Bible. And often with old stories that you've been hearing your whole life, it will produce a new spin on things that isn't contrary to your faith, but, but gives these stories a new life for you to hear them for a second time.
2: I want to just affirm real quick what you said, Michael, as three good practical pieces of advice for interpreting uh, and for reading Scripture. That, like you said, we need to be looking to those who are educated and learned in uh, the interpretation of Scripture, so looking towards those scholars and theologians, things like that, But then uh, beside that, we need to be looking to people who may not necessarily be formally educated in those, but to those who are elders of the faith, those who are uh, older than us and who have perhaps put in, um, have cranked out the chapters week by week, like Stephen was saying, (laughs) Um, and those people who have that sort of experience. And then third, and you've been talking about this all, um, all throughout, Michael, community. Community is hugely important, and I, I'm, I need to be sure to put this out there before this podcast is over, that community is huge for our interpretation of Scripture, to have the give and take of others, not that the U.S. government should dictate our theology, but we see there the idea of checks and balances, and that is one of the perks, I guess, of reading in community.
0: Let me let me put in a real quick thought about reading in community. If you ever get mad at the way other groups interpret scripture, you say, oh, this group over here, they're totally getting this idea wrong about scripture. Well, the only way to correct that is to read with that community, is to engage in conversations with people that disagree with you, sometimes uh, from other uh, traditions, other fellowships, and to engage with them by opening up the word and say, what does scripture say about this? Now, let's be honest. We might not change everyone's mind the first time around, but the only way that real change can be made is to open up the word and to allow God to speak uh, to both of you.
1: Right. And so what I'm hearing with these ideas of reading within community and going to the educated, the scholarly elders and leaders in the church is you got to be skeptical with anywhere you go that is not directly from Scripture, and for the very reason that man is fallible. And if you're going to open yourself up to someone else's interpretation, I'll give you an example. Let's say the one that comes to mind is uh, the translation uh, for the word deaconess that's found in the Bible. A female servant. Was it N.T. right? I think it was that said that the word deaconess is commonly used in Greek language, but it was for the female servant, but he is saying that it's so commonly used that we have to apply it to what's in Scripture, even though that's not what is found in Scripture, and he makes this uh, assumption that just because it's so commonly used in all these historic manuscripts, surely... A deaconess had to have been a official position within the church. And so just because you're using the concept of majority rules does not mean that you're correct, and it contradicts other areas of Scripture. And so N.T. Wright has a lot of good things to say. However, I disagree with that just because that is not what agrees with the rest of Scripture. So again, we're talking about context of things. Think about how it fits in with the other areas of Scripture. That's
0: a great example, Stephen. Most of the time, I agree with what I read from N.T. Wright, but there are several things where I disagree, and so it's important to always go back
1: to Scripture. And let's talk about it from an elementary standpoint. Who were the first people that taught you about the Bible? It was your Sunday school teachers, could be your parents, uh, maybe somebody else uh, that was close to you as you were a child. But... Were you reading it out of the Bible yourself? No, you were getting it via word of mouth from those who were teaching you. And like Michael mentioned earlier, you've heard these stories, and so you've developed the idea of the story based upon what you've heard. Now, it wasn't exactly word for word. Now, when you go back and reread it, something else is going to pop out at you. Maybe it's something that wasn't actually mentioned in the story, or it's how the words flow together. It paints a better picture in your head. And so that is important that, that you read it for yourself and you don't just take people's words. If you just listen to other people, you will create your own religion based upon what you've heard. So. <laughs> That's well said.
0: So before we do closing comments, could we just do a quick go around and have people list off different resources or different places they go when they're looking to learn more about the word or Anything that you want to share with our audience.
2: Yeah, and I'll, I'll also start with my translation of choice, and I hope y'all will do the same. Sure. I use the ESV, like Michael has already mentioned, and I, I, I really want to push that on people. The ESV is a, a good translation because it is one of the most... We were just talking about scholars, and I, I feel bad bringing it back up. But uh, it's one of the most scholarly uh, translations available, um, has a lot of research behind it and the the text that it uses and the way it goes with its translations. Um, There's a lot of good scholarship and research behind that. And I think that actually would make it comparable to something like perhaps the New American Standard or Young's Literal Translation, perhaps. But uh, I think where the ESV will stand apart from those is the ESV makes a conscious effort to maintain some of the the elegance of the poetry and of the prose of scripture and uh, make it read for modern readers as it would for ancient readers where that you still have it's idiomatic and as much as my English teacher told me not to say this in high school, it, it flows it just, Flows so I, I really stress that I. I'm also gonna just say something. People are not gonna like me. Those are some of the reasons why I would say you shouldn't use King James or in the New King James Bible. While they were, uh, while the King James was groundbreaking for its time and was at its time one of the most well-researched translations available, it today it still uses a lot of the research that was done back then and the manuscripts chosen, and that is actually, I think, a hindrance to modern readers, and so I would, I would recommend avoiding that. Uh, and j- then just briefly, a few things that I would recommend to people. So we already talked about daily reading. That's hugely important. Reading alongside a commentary is really helpful. Like Stephen has already warned, you don't want to be too influenced by that, so changing up your commentaries, not always reading with a commentary, a good variety there is helpful. Um, and then a, a third thing is praying when you read scripture. You can pray as you read. You can pray the so praying the words of scripture, saying those words back to God, those words that He has given you. Um, sometimes God gives us prayers. That's uh, a lot of what the Psalms are. I will give you the words to say to me, and it's this uh, beautiful transaction that God has given us. But also just praying after you read to help you reflect and. Speak to God about what you have just read, uh, Steven or Michael.
1: Yeah, I would say do a little bit of research on the publisher. I would uh, the first thing that I look for when I'm looking at a study Bible that has notes in the uh, borders or whatever. Look at the verses that deal with uh, what I like to call salvation issues, where they address address uh, baptism, things like that, and. See what they actually have to say about it. If it says in the notes, this is a symbol that you can show that you are taking on God in your faith or something like that, then it, these publishers have their modus based upon whoever is paying their bills. Uh, usually, uh, if it's a certain denomination that is, that's part of their ministry, then that's the way it's going to go. So, yeah, pay attention to things like that. I, I would say ESV has it about. right as far as scriptures that uh, are hinges that can go one way or the other. NIV probably fills in about, if I was putting it in percentages, 3% of that missing 5%. They get those right. Uh, The New American Standard probably gets 1% of those right that the ESV doesn't, and King James has a few places where it translates better than the ESV as well. But like I said, if you can quickly find those five verses or whatever out of those hundred pivotal verses that ESV doesn't quite get right on the nail in the head, I don't think it's going to mess up your theology one way or the other. It's just that sometimes there are better words and if you want to be a scholar, why don't you just go get an interlinear where you can read the Greek word <laughs> and and see what it directly so translates to? There you go, problem solved. You don't have to mess with all the uh, the discussion between what translation is better, and then you can be the snob of the class and be like, oh, I use an interlinear. Anyway, but yeah, that as far as resources, I, I talk a lot about creationism and uh, that are found in Genesis, I, I go to Answers in Genesis, their website a lot. I will throw out a disclaimer that they are quick to say that man has original sin and everybody that is born is born with sin because they are a descendant of Adam, which I do not agree with. Anyway, those, those are my tools that I'd throw out there.
0: I, I re- Stephen, as you were listing off your percentages, I thought your, your last 1% was either going to be go to the Greek, which was kind of what it was, Or you were going to say, that last percent, it can only come out by prayer. (laughs) um, Anyway, as as I've already mentioned, I'm a big ESV fan. I've been reading it for a little over 10, I guess about 12 years now. Uh, I've enjoyed it. Um, I still have some verses memorized from the NIV, which is what I grew up with. But uh, as I've heard it said, the best Bible translation is the Bible you will read. As far as resources go, I think an interesting website that someone introduced me to a couple of years ago is called thebibleproject.com. It's got interesting videos that will bring alive some of the Bible books that you are less likely to read. So if you are saying, I would never read Leviticus, go watch a video where someone has put in a time and effort and artistic flair to make Leviticus more presentable. As far as reading the Bible on a daily basis, if you decide to do that, why wait for the new year? Why not start today? Say, I'm gonna do it over the next year. But if you've had problems with that in the past, I I don't recommend starting at the beginning and going all the way to the end, although that's one way to do it. You should do it at least once in your life. What I would recommend is that you divide it up. Uh, You're supposed to read three chapters a day and five on Sunday. I would read one chapter from the beginning of the Bible, one chapter from Psalms, which is right in the middle, and then one New Testament chapter a day, so that each day you're getting some some Old Testament, some some poetry, but also the story of Jesus in the New Testament church, and it gives a, a better mix. And you're also less likely to fall off when you have to read three chapters out of Leviticus or three chapters out of Jeremiah later on, so... Uh, Those are my recommendations for uh, resources and and things to to help you with your your Bible reading. All right, guys, I know we're running out of time, but um, how about 30, 45 seconds? What's your takeaway from our conversation today?
1: Make sure that you're reading your Bible and, and try and be able to defend what you believe. If there's something that you're unsure about, go see what the Bible says about it, and that's the whole reason about educating yourself. But remember that you just got to make sure that you're de- growing spiritually. Listen to God. That's how he speaks to you. Um I'll give the opposite
2: piece of advice of uh be sure to seek out guidance in your reading, um looking to books and to human beings and to friends and to family to help you um,
1: to help you gain understanding. And you will be given all the wrong answers.
0: <laughs> well, you can do both, you can do both. Uh, my, my piece of suggestion, my, my uh, last word here is that when you're reading scripture and you're reading a story that you've read before, ask God uh, for guidance to, to see it in a new light, a way that can transform you for that day, or to understand it in a more full way uh, so that every time you read scripture, it, it, it feels new. It will be new for us. So we do want to close out this week's podcast by thanking everyone, all of our listeners, for joining us in this new season. Uh, we have already planned out several podcasts for this new season. But uh, we're always welcoming new ideas from from our listeners, things they want to hear about. But some ideas that we're we're hoping to talk about in the future is uh, where we got the Bible from, how to get the most out of Bible classes, uh, why should we care about church history, and even looking at the way that churches operate. Of course, those are just some of the ideas that we have for the future. We would love to hear from you about this podcast or any of the other podcasts that we do. So thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next time.